Good evening. Turn with me to Luke 8 for our introductory thought. Good to see so many here this holiday season. What a beautiful holiday it is. When I lived abroad and then I would uh, talk with people um, around Thanksgiving season, they would, you know, us Americans who would celebrate Thanksgiving, and then I would I would ask them, "Do you have a holiday like this?" And they would say, "Well, what is it?" And I'd say, "Well, we we just take the day and we just are thankful and we celebrate what God has given us. We we have it in our history in our country." And they would say, no, we don't have any holiday like that. And uh, I feel it in honor. And actually, sometimes when you go to another country, that's one thing that people might know about America. Like, you have a holiday called Thanksgiving. And, like, you, you celebrate that. And, and like, it is, it is special. And we appreciate it. Okay, do you have a root, roots, roots in yourself? This is the, the thought tonight. Luke 8, verse 13. <clears throat> verse. They and the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe. And in time of temptation, fall away. Root, why didn't they have roots in themselves? Why didn't that seed get rooted in the good soil? Why, why didn't it happen? Why weren't there roots? And so that's what I want to speak about for a few minutes. Um, to turn to Galatians 1. Maybe I could get the iPad up here too. Galatians chapter 1. Paul re- re- rehearsed his salvation experience three times in the book of Acts. And then here in Galatians 1. His conversion meant a lot. It it really meant something. Paul was converted so much that it's repeated. The story is repeated. And here he has some detail that isn't in the book of Acts. And it's chapter 1. And just a a very quick breakdown. He he was, in verse um, 13, he was an Orthodox Jew. Oops, it's not on. Okay, let's see. Here we go. Okay, number one, he was an Orthodox Jew against Christ, against the Christians. Number two, verse 13 and 14, we read that. That's a message in itself. But then 15 and 16 is his salvation. So we have his salvation happens. And what happens when you get saved? What happens when you turn? What happens when there's a new birth? 
What happens when you realize Jesus is real? What happens when you worship God and you just say, I was lost and, and, and Christ came into my life? What, what happens then? And this is uh, verse uh, 16. You see, he, he said, to, re- to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia. So I'll put here this word, Arabia. What happens when you get saved? It is so, it is so important that you have roots in yourself. And this is what happened to Paul. He said, I didn't talk to people about it. That comes later in this text. But I didn't, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. Because what happened to me was so clear in my heart, in my mind, that I went to Arabia. What does it mean? It means that I actually, I really understand. I'm in the world but actually, I'm not so interested in it. I'm, I've got, I'm looking. I'm, I, I know this is real. I, in Paul's case, I saw Jesus Christ. I saw him. He's speaking to me. I know it. And I need, I don't need people. I need to process this in my heart. I need roots in myself. Yes, we need the body. Yes, I know. We, we, we need the body of Christ. But yes, we need the fellowship. Absolutely. We, we're going to get there in a minute. But I want to really stay on that point, Arabia. Because you need an Arabia in your life. You need to take it seriously. You, you need an Arabia where you just say, Wow. That Jesus saved me. Jesus came into my heart. I need some quietness. I need some detachment. I need to like realize that this is not from men. This is from God. What He did for me. I need. I need to understand it. I. I want to grow in it. I want to learn about it, and I got to take it seriously. Because Paul was a serious guy. That's point number one. This guy was so serious, he would, he was attacking the Christians to destroy them. And he was capable. Administrator, driven leader, amazingly powerful guy, and he could get it done. But God stopped him. God stopped him, and he knew that God stopped him. And when he went to Arabia, I feel like this is sometimes what's lacking in a new Christian's life. They, they, they are so saturated and kind of filled in the world that they don't have a, an Arabia. They don't have a detachment. They don't have roots in themselves. They haven't processed the reality of what happened to them. So that's a good message right there, I think.
really. It's something to think about, because we'll, we'll get to the, another point in a minute. But look at chapter 1 in verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. This is number four. He, he went to Jerusalem to see Peter, and he abode, and the word there is historio. It sounds like history, historio. And it means that they met, and they told stories. They chatted. They kind of got together, and they compared their history. They talked about it. They visited together. They went, he went up to Jerusalem for 15 days and kind of uh, put their feet up in front of a fireplace and just talked. And they just talked about it. And, and Paul could say to Peter, how did it happen to you? What happened to you? You were a follower. You saw Jesus. Like, tell me everything you know about Jesus. Tell me the stories. Tell me what happened. And then Paul, Peter could say to Paul, and Paul, what's your, what's your story? What happened to you? You're an enemy of, of our faith. What happened? And Paul is there talking and chatting and fellowshipping and interacting and comparing and embracing and realizing that they are in something that they did not invent it. It came from God to them, and they are amazed by it. You know, 15 days is not a long time, but it should, Paul's point here is that he didn't have a schooling from those apostles that were in Jerusalem, but God had given him an understanding but he was relating to them and fellowshipping with them. But my point mainly here is in this telling the story is that there's roots here. That's that's what I'm that's what we're saying. The fifth thing in the story is the work he had to do. After he was there, then he said uh, verse um, twenty one. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And why did he go there? Because he had a mission. He came into that area, and he met the Christians and had the fellowship. And he was unknown by face under the churches in Judea, which were in Christ. They had heard only that he which persecuted us in past now preaches the faith with which he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Okay, so I'll put here the work or the mission. It's like an outline for an awesome story. And to use it for us to think that these holiday season, maybe we will be with with uh, some of relatives and friends, and uh, we have an opportunity to um, to lovingly be with them and to put our feet up and chat and talk, perhaps. 
But in any case, roots, those are, are precious. The seed bears fruit. The plant grows and increases because there's roots in us. One example, and I'll just close with this. It's like another message, but I, I, I can't help but share it with you. It's the story of David. This line is the David's life. And in his early years, he was called to do something exceptional. What did he do when he was young? He killed Goliath. And he um, could say, I am David, I am the lion, the giant killer. But we don't read that. We simply read that he just understood that he was David. I am David. I am David, and I'm happy with who I am. I'm David. If I kill Goliath, that's great. If I don't, it's, it's God's work. But I am David. You, you and I need to be satisfied in ourselves. You and I have this uh, new life where we are satisfied. This is real freedom. Real freedom is not proving yourself to be something. Real freedom is, um, is knowing, knowing in your heart what you have and who you are. Therefore, you have gratitude. This is a good word for a David. Gratitude. Psalm 34, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The roots are, are invisible. The roots are uh, who you are. The roots have been processed in your quietness, in your solitude. Their roots grow in your reading, in your reflection, in your obedience. Their roots grow in Arabia. Their roots grow when nobody sees it. The roots are growing in what you look at, what you read, what you think about, who your friends are, what you do with your time. Their roots are growing in your heart. And you don't have to kill Goliath because you've got roots in your heart. This is who you are. I am David. Now notice the last thing. The dark hour of David. What was that? Later in life. He's in his 40s. What is it? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Sad day. Sad. The death of her husband. The adultery. David goes through a terrible year. When David services, what does he say? I am David. I am David. I am not my sin. I am David. I have roots in my heart. I know who I am. God is for me, not against me. Thank you, Lord. You have made us like yourself. And whether you have a great victory, it's really not, you know, it is what it is. That's great. Praise the Lord. That's to the glory of God, and those are needed. But who are you when you don't have the victory? 
But who are you when your world crumbles? Our world crumbles. Who are we when we have our troubles in life? You can say, I am David. I am thankful. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. I am called by his name. He is for me and not against me. This is in Paul's words. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. Right? Another one, 1 Corinthians 15.10, I am what I am by the grace of God. This is, this is important for you and I to have in Arabia, to know what has happened to us and to know who we are. And, and this means that you can live your life with gratitude. Now, gratitude is a good word. Let's write that down here for a second. We have gratitude. It's an attitude. Gratitude is an attitude. Gr- gratefulness. This is what leads to thanksgiving. What, what's thanksgiving? It's, it's, it's the expression of gratitude. It's in our heart when the sun comes up in the morning. In our heart when there's a little child in your presence. In your heart when you have a friend. In your heart, if you you have something precious in our hearts that we can be thankful for, and this this feeds, it grows. It, it's part of our spirit and our mentality. It's in everything. In everything, give thanks. Let me finish my message. I guess I'm doing my whole message here, but uh, this is a story about Abraham Lincoln, who's Wife was a bit, I think in today's world they would call her bipolar. I think so. I can find it. Yeah. While Abe was known for his quiet reserve and introspection, she had a reputation for being high strung. This is Mary Todd Lincoln. Nervous, impulsive, excitable. People knew Lincoln as steady, composed, and unflappable. Mary, however, was sunning all over with laughter one moment, the next crying as though her heart would break, according to her cousin Margaret Stewart. Longtime friend O.H. Browning commented she was always either in the garret or the cellar. No doubt Mary's extreme frequent mood swings place additional stress on their marriage. Let me stop there for a minute. Uh, Stress in the marriage. Um, Problems in the marriage. Uh, Maybe disappointments in the marriage. Lincoln was known to endure her outbursts by emotionally withdrawing taking the children on long walks or escaping to his office where he could sleep on his couch. His strategy was to ignore her, and sometimes when she experienced one of her nervous spells, he stayed away from home for days at a time, 
Some historians have speculated that if his domestic situation had been happier, he might not have been so interested in campaigning for public office with all the travel it required. On one occasion, Mary slapped a young maid across the face. To make things worse, when the young lady's father inquired, Mary went after him with a broom handle, wildly swinging it. When the furious man at last tracked down Lincoln to complain, Lincoln slowly shook his head and said, Can't you endure this one wrong done? Can't you endure this one wrong done you while I've had to bear it without complaint for lo these many years? (laughs) The suddenly... This suddenly sympathetic man immediately dropped the matter. (laughs) Um, I think gratitude helps us endure the troubles in life. I think gratitude is at the very heart of our faith that God loved us so much. I think gratitude is understanding what what. You know, if you always measure measure your life, let's see, if you you measure your life, um, okay, you you can measure your life different ways. You measure your life by what you have or what you want to have, right? And and if you can always, my father used to tell me, maybe my sister Cynthia remembers. In our home, sometimes my mother or my father would say, I, wa- I once was sad I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. And that's a simple little little story that maybe kind of helps us relate to how to develop gratitude. You can always say, I don't have this, I don't have that. Or you can say, I have this, I have this, and be just so thankful for it. So um, I'd like Pastor Steve to come up and just read that piece, and then we'll take the offering. So we just uh, think about, um, you know, what the what the day means tomorrow, and uh, we know um, the story. You know, if you grew up in the United States, uh, you used to be learn the story. I still hope they teach the story, uh, but the uh, story of Thanksgiving and the, you know, the settlers that came to New England uh, with the Geneva Bible in their hands, which is really kind of interesting. They were bringing this Bible with them, and they used this Bible to, to help them establish uh, a society. And so um, one of the descendants of that first group of, of uh, Puritan believers who uh, sailed from Holland uh, to escape um, the persecution that was going on in uh, in uh, England at the time. Uh, They were trying to reform the English church and bring it back to the Bible. So they came here. And uh, a woman named Sarah Hale, uh, she was a magazine editor. And maybe you know the poem, Mary Had a Little Lamb, 
Her fleece was white as snow, and every mare, everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Sarah Hale wrote that. And she was also like a very persistent person because she really thought that, uh, that th- there should be a day set aside for Thanksgiving. George Washington had one. He commemorated this uh, day uh, when the pilgrims, when the Puritans arrived. Uh, but, you know, a couple, a couple presidents later, there was another guy, kind of an interesting guy, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, he decided that it wasn't such a good idea. He called it like that. That's like a kingly practice. If you know Thomas Jefferson, he had, you know, some interesting kind of concepts about life. Uh, so we, we appreciate that he helped write the Declaration of Independence. But anyway, trust me on that one. Uh, but, you know, after that, Thanksgiving became sort of like a sporadic thing that went on. Uh, states did it. But in 1828... Uh, Sarah Hale, a magazine editor, and the, as I said, the uh, writer of that poem, began knocking on doors. Like uh, she demanded audiences with the president. She was like that that widow, or the was it a widow? Uh, somebody who was looking, and you know, she was persistent. And the, you know, Jesus used this parable to say, she, you know, she kept coming. I've got to get this done, and but she could never find the right politician to get it done. And uh, some of them, of course, uh, stiff armed her. And, uh, you know, turned her away. Um, but, you know, she was not going to give up on this. And then, as Pastor Schaller was talking about, um, Abraham Lincoln, when he was president and in the middle of the Civil War, dead in the middle of the Civil War, 1863, right at the height of maybe the most uh, significant and bloodiest battles, he listened to what she had to say. And he declared a day of thanksgiving. And he said it would be the fourth Thursday of November. And he made it an official day. Um, so he did that by executive order. I don't know if you know what executive orders are. They can be turned back by the next president. It wasn't until 1941 that our Congress decided that we should make it an official day. And so this is... You know, this is what uh, Thanksgiving is for. Abraham Lincoln, when you think about the man, we heard, you know, we heard that he had turmoil in his home, sort of like Hannah's husband. Do you know his name? How many know Hannah's husband's name? Elkanah. Yeah, very good. He's the hero of that story because he kept taking his family to church, even when there was trouble in his home and trouble in the politics of the nation and Trouble everywhere. There was even trouble in the temple. There was evil guys in the temple, a couple of guys like that. So uh, Abraham Lincoln, you know, he heard this and he decided we have to give thanks to God that this country, even though it's been ripped apart by this civil war, you know, we have to give thanks that God still has his hand on it. So let's think about giving thanks now with our offering and our tithes and just thinking, you know, of what God does in his sovereignty, in his sovereignty, kindness, tenderness, gentleness. Think of the gentleness. David said gentleness of God made me great. And when we know the story of Bathsheba, we know we see just how gentle God was with him and forgiving a man of 
contrite heart, broken heart. So maybe tomorrow should be a broken-hearted day. You know, we should think about Abraham Lincoln was probably very broken-hearted over what he had to preside over. And then this little woman came to him and said, we should give thanks. And it happened. So, Lord, we do thank you tonight uh, for this time in our service when we give. And uh, that's the greatest offering. That's greater than it says in the Psalms that you bulls and goats and those kind of offerings mean so little to you in comparison to our giving of thanks. But you do ask us to give, and we give from what you've given to us to glorify your name. Amen. Before we close, okay. Now we want to do like five minutes or ten minutes on the subject of uh, what is your Arabia? What is your Arabia? All right. So we said in the message... Paul had, he went, he went from an enemy to being born again and then immediately conferring not with flesh and blood. Now, now notice something. I believe when I first, when I got saved and I went to the church, I don't think I was conferring with flesh and blood because the church wasn't, wasn't doing that. There was an anointing in the church. There was like a, a message. There was something in my heart. And it built the roots, built up the roots in my heart. And how important those roots are, because you never know what you will go through in the future. Like we said about David. You know, he had a very high point of great victories that he had a very, very hard low point. But, but because of who he was and who he knew God was and being established in that, he was able to finish well. He finished well. So, uh, the Holy Spirit does that with us. He really does. He draws us to himself we 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 start to have friends that are that are not flesh and blood they're spiritual people and we fellowship and then there are times when there are people in our life that are like flesh and blood they are we'll turn to second timothy 2 and we can look at that as we finish here that's good i got that So in the church, there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Chapter 2, verse 20. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, but some to honor and some to dishonor. And what is he talking about? It's a metaphor for people. There are different kinds of of vessels in the house. 
We are the house, where the church is the house, and there are people of honor and people of dishonor. They're in the same building. They're in the same church. They're in the same. And I, I think we don't need to be convinced of that, that there can be um, uh, people who are not born again or people that are carnally relating to life and so on. And then there are people that are going to help us. They're going to help us. They're going to help us. They're going to encourage us in a spiritual way. So here it says, verse 21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Meaning, when you purge yourself from the vessels of dishonor, you're not judging, but you just are discerning and recognizing that this is not edifying. Like a gossip who is in the church, a gossip who is in the church could uh, be talking, and I'm, a, I'm drawn to the gossip. I'm drawn. That's not my Arabia. That's not the way that I should live. I should be drawn to the spirit, drawn to edification, drawn to love, drawn to faith. That's the meaning here. So what is your Arabia? Uh, and I think I said it in the message, and I just want to emphasize that and, and the gratitude. When, when we are hurt in life, when, when we get hurt, like Abraham Lincoln not only had a difficult marriage, but he had a difficult job as commander-in-chief. He had never done that. He never led an army before. He had to study military tactics. He was very hands-on as commander-in-chief. He, a lot of his presidency was, was taken up with that. And he had that, that large numbers of sad, tragic destruction on the battlefield, 28,000 in one day in Antietam, Gettysburg, Horrible. Like, and he, he lived with this. He lived with this. Okay, now, gratitude. How can I live with gratitude? If we are not careful, and, and when, when we can, we should really look to God and see the Lord develop the roots in our life. Because that is what carries us. I think of it as a quarterback in the NFL, in the pocket. He's in the pocket. He's got to do his job. He has amazing concentration, like some of you know football. Maybe others are bored. Sorry. But, but he, has this, uh, he has to execute his job under pressure. Under pressure. If he pays attention to the pressure, he won't be able to do it. He has to be beyond it. He has to know what he's doing, and he has to do it very quickly, Actually, and very skillfully, and and it's like an incredible job that he has to do. But a Christian needs to realize the game we're playing called life, and your the bitterness of the human heart can catch you, and you lose your gratitude. You stop being thankful, and you just start complaining. It goes like that. It goes. It's like a downhill slide. It goes, um, okay, here's, here's 
my life, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful, now I'm in trouble, and the downhill slide goes. I'm, I compare myself with the world. I feel that I haven't succeeded. There's many things that the mindset is worldly. The mindset is worldly. There's no roots. I'm easily discouraged. I'm easily derailed. I'm easily. So then the complaining starts. And then, then um, I um, it, developed a mindset of becoming angry or bitter, frustrated. The same person, the same person, if they could handle it, and I'm talking about the quarterback in the pocket. I'm talking about about like understanding who my friends are, what I need, how do I get my encouragement. I'm understanding a spiritual message. I, I'm, I'm, I'm processing it. I have an Arabia in my life. Like that's kind of our, our message. I have an Arabia. I have to process. I've been killing people and imprisoning them and Stephen. Now I am saved. What you think it's all I need to, I need to really get my mind wrapped around what it is that I'm believing. I need to understand this and get rooted and grounded in it. Because God has called me to a mission. But before the mission, I need an Arabia. That's the main point tonight. And you have it. I think if you and I could develop that, that skill of how we think and just do not complain. Just start to be like, look at, look at what you have in the Lord. Look at the Lord. And that this life is short, very short. It's very short. And we're putting treasure and it has value, and your joy is contagious. Your thankful spirit is healthy. Your heart attitude, you are thankful for so many things. I know it's hard. I understand that. Like that's, I understand this. But Abraham Lincoln, and, and I mean, many heroes of ours through life, we can say, how did they do this? And I would just say that if we could, be before God in humility and ask him to show us and teach us and then what will happen. And I'm an amateur at it. I'm just learning it, but I believe it. I just believe that um, Thanksgiving is a huge part of the Christian life. And, and we just are quietly like learning to be thankful in our hearts for what we have. And by the way, one day it's over, and we're going to fly away, Psalm 90, verse 10. And God is going to take us and receive us, and then there'll be no more pain, no more suffering. There'll be just simply no more of the, of the things that hurt us. The things that hurt us and trouble us, it won't be there anymore. So now we're called to... This life of thanksgiving and worship. Amen.